Welcome to the Spirituality of Strength Training with your host, Anna Willard. This podcast is dedicated to bring you knowledge, wisdom, inspiration, and guidance to wherever you may be on your health journey. For those who are new to me, I am a kettlebell strength coach, a movement nerd ninja, and an empowerment coach on a mission to bring you hope through our health. The root word of health comes from wholeness. The root word of wholeness comes from holy. Despite our differences with religion and spiritual beliefs, we are all human beings with a body that is designed to reflect this holiness through our health. It wasn't until my seventh year as a health profession where I went into a deep awakening of understanding what does it mean to train my spirit and to heal my spirit through the physical. You'll hear a little bit more about my story from other health professionals, from strength coaches, psychiatrists, spiritual gurus and leaders, to other people who talk about the importance of our health as a community body and the health of our planet as well. This podcast is to allow us to step into our whole health, mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Thank you for being here. If you love what you hear, I encourage you to subscribe. If you want more inspiration and quotes from these podcasts, I encourage you to follow me on Instagram at Anna underscore Willard underscore. I encourage you to do a little bit of a movement, either yoga flow, go for a walk, sit in nature as you enjoy this episode. All right, welcome, strong ones. I'm very honored today to introduce you my very good friend, Derek McNeil. He is a professor at the Seattle School of theology and psychology. And we're going to just do a deep dive right away. When I first met him, I asked this very important question of how he defines hope. And it was the day I was the first time I stepped onto the school premise. And it was asked right after someone asked the question of the difference between our light side and our shadow side. And for those who aren't familiar with those terms, basically like our good parts of us and some of the negative parts of us and how do we deal with that. And I wanted to know more about the significance of hope despite our light and dark side and the depth of that and the entity of hope. So Derek, I'm going to hand it right over to you and we're doing a deep dive right away. Um, So first, thank you for being on the show. As if I remember my answer. (laughs) And it was over a year ago, so... (laughs) Well, I, it's interesting because hope, and if I recall, um, you asked the question in the midst of feeling the conflict, yes. and um, it was a sense of conflict, and maybe in some ways the dark side was winning, and the feeling of uh, being overwhelmed with so many things that were not going well. And how do you hold on to those things that are going well? And the sense of um, imbalance, which is not at times totally 
absent from how we feel about our environment or the country or where things are going, the sense of how do we hold on to something when something else can't be seen. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I heard it that way, if I recall. I don't recall specifically what I answered. But this sense of drawing on an inner resource, um, drawing on something beyond ourselves, uh, drawing on something spiritual for me, um, that I need to have some sense there's a longer arc to humanity than just my own personal story, that my personal story fits into larger something that gives me hope. So in my own personal moments when I struggle, it's my linkages, it's my connections, whether it be spiritual, whether they be family, whether they be um, church, whether they be other sort of organizations or belief in the, the work of Christ in the mm-hmm. earth for me. Um, that gives me hope. That gives me resilience to get through some things and maybe even get better on mm-hmm. the other side. So, um, so I don't know what I answered you before, but that's what I would have. To I, well, I, to be honest, I don't remember how you answered either. I just remember <laughs> I was ready to cry after I left. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and that, that may speak to linkage. That may speak to not doing this mm-hmm. alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think that's what I remember too, the sense of, um, I'm struggling with this mm-hmm. alone, and I need partners. At least hear me, make some sense of what I'm saying, make some sense of the. Can you walk with me through this? Can you hear this? Can you actually tolerate that it's not going as well? And I think that's the linkage. We sometimes forget that we don't. We shouldn't actually, if we can help it, go through these mm-hmm. things alone. So, one of the things that I, as I have discovered and been on this journey of understanding hope and learning about hope, would you say hope lives within the community body as well? Hmm. Yes. You know, I think, yes. And there seems to be, we forget sometimes, or I forget sometimes we're social Mm -hmm. animals and that our hope, similar to what I was saying before, our hope is not held alone. That really if we have communities that support us, that we feel linked to, that we identify with, that provide us strength and hope. It's time to use the wrong communities that give us some sense of hope. Um, for instance, a gang can give you a sense mm-hmm. of possibility and hope. It may not be as a community, a long-term well-being organization, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, it may not be something that leads toward, but it can give you a sense of not being isolated. Mm-hmm. And I think anytime we get connected and feel less alone and we feel a sense of attunement, then we have some degree of hope that gets instilled in us. Awesome. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, with hope, um, I always find that hope is a sense of our health as well. Mm-hmm. Um, can mm-hmm. you touch on that and the importance of the health as an individual and the health as a community mm-hmm. body as well? Hmm. Um, it's interesting because when you asked me to do this, I kept thinking I might be the no. worst person to ask about <laughs> well-being and health things. But I, I'll tell you how I've come to really deeply appreciate body-mind um, or even body-mind community connection. Mm. Um, trained as a psychologist, and I think the focus is really on getting people to talk to you and focus on their mind and mm-hmm. behavior. 
And at some point I've had a couple, and it's really through students, really kind of very bright and intuitive students that said to me, you know, there's more than to just simply talking. And um, I can recall even some early sort of therapy things. I wanted to do a lot of talking. I, I, my defense against the world has probably been very analytical. Um, and even avoiding some emotions because emotions are our body. When we're talking about emotional experiences, we're talking about our bodies. We're not just talking about something in our head. We're talking about our body reacting. And I think I enjoyed in my own defense pushing everything to the head, uh, make it abstract and an idea because I love ideas. Right. And I think my students have taught me that um, ideas are birthed in our bodies in some ways. They are rooted in our spirits and our souls. And we feel them, not just simply thinking. Mm -hmm. And so having, for instance, a good thought and a good idea was a body experience. It was your, your body says, that's a good idea versus that of 10, 10 other ideas are just yeah. so, so it's your body says, that's exciting. That's good. And there's energy that happens and our bodies are very much in this sort of processing of yeah. energy. Um, and so I actually feel like I came to this appreciation for um, body and mind and spirit really through um, students first. And then I did a little bit of clinical work. Um, but I think as a person, as another one of my jobs at the school, I'm responsible for the academic programs. And so um, how we think about our program is very much around um, spirit and mind. And increasingly students have said, and you need to add spirit mm -hmm. body. In fact, you were one of those who said, where, where is the body in this? And I totally agree. So I think I'm a learner. You know, I'm, I have, was trained in a time when you had to think abstractly and rational did not mean mm. emotional. Um, rational meant abstract. Mm -hmm. And I think we're coming to realize now that rational means your, your, your mind and your body are in agreement. Right. That this is something that feels true and coherent. And um, so I have come to the journey. It has not been one that has been easy mm -hmm. for me. And it's been, been a retraining. And most of that's been with other students. Well, thank you for that and being open to us as students. With mm -hmm. You mentioned about the spirit kind of leading you or getting you excited and giving you energy. I know from my mm -hmm. story, there's been things, particularly the kettlebell, when I first was introduced to it, I got really excited. I was like in this awe and this wonder of this type of skill practice. But it was my mind and my body to a certain degree that was holding me back. So can you hmm. talk a little bit more about how the spirit leads? Hmm. Hmm. Well, I, I would only venture to say how the spirit leads mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so as not to kind of um, suggest that the limit the spirit in terms of spiritual right. leading. Um, for me, it is interesting when I probably feel most connected to the spirit is when I feel like those pieces have come together. Um, when I feel like um, the little boy in me, yeah. I'll say it that way, is open and free and seen and accepted in a certain type of way. And for me, it's connected with God. And so God sees me, hears me, and knows me, knows me from the womb, mm. if you will. And there's this sense of there for you. So it's, it's an internal, not unusually linked to something external. Um, 
and a sense of connectedness, a sense of integratedness, a sense of wholeness. I feel like I'm being held or, and, and mostly mm-hmm. known, the sense of being known. Um, so I, you know, I, I have friends occasionally tell me I say no before I say yes. And I feel like God knows me in the same way that I'll sometimes say no. And then I'll think about it, use about it, reflect on it, try to listen, try to stay open and then Mm -hmm. say yes. Well, in many of the stories I have about my own sort of spiritual journey, they have that same quality of, I sometimes need to be bluffed or knocked a little bit and wake up. Can you see this? Can, um, and I have to, I have to have awakenings. Um, I, I wish I was simply a progressive learner. This is ooh, because my own learning is progressive. Whereas I do my own sort of doesn't always lead me to transformative mm. moments. And the transformative moments usually a little bit more um, abrupt or shifting, and something I didn't see that I have to kind of be awakening to, awakened to. So I think yeah. I answered your question. This kind of on there. This is a spiritual. Spiritual leading to me is um, both personal and corporate. The corporate aspects of that are being a listener. Um, I try not to assume that something that I hear or think is true spiritually is true for everybody or or true in spite of right. anybody. Um, that I try to put, again, the communities we're a part of become important because I listen to people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I want people in my community to say, Derek, have you thought about so-and-so? Because as humans, um, this is the part of the body that's, um, there's, I think, blessings and not curses, but blessings and limitations. Um, in this body, I'm limited. And I will only see mm-hmm. but so much. And I will only hear but so much. And I take a perspective as an African-American male. I have a certain perspective on the world that shapes how I think the world works. Well, I need other people around me to help me reshape, reform, and expand um, at times when I may be less willing to or be frightened to, mm-hmm. to do so. Um, so I think it's also a communal piece, too, to have people speaking in. And so it's not just simply a, I come to some spiritual awakening and this is all there is. I, I usually have some sort of awakening and then people confirm it or things confirm it or stories confirm it or my own history says we were pointing this way okay. all along. Thank you for that. Um, you touched on a couple of things, and I want to first dive into this concept of awakening. And mm. to be honest, this word has kind of been I'm j- been jaded by this word because, mm-hmm. in my opinion, I feel that we all are awake. For those who mm. we're living, we're mm-hmm. breathing, we're awake. It's just a matter of a choice if we're willing to listen. Kind of like you were saying before. And a lot of us, or there's a lot of talk of like going through awakening and then you are almost like arrive or this concept. Mm -hmm. But I love how you talked about there's times where you have to go through another reawakening or another Mm -hmm. concept of Mm -hmm. um, expanding. So can you talk a little Mm -hmm. bit more on the aspect of growth and the concept of like, um, because this is something I've learned and with understanding and healing my past trauma understanding it's never like we really arrive and so can you go mm. into the fact of that and the concept of what does it look like to heal and will we ever be whole mm-hmm. yeah you've named a couple things um one healing and whole mm-hmm. um i'd even suggest those might be different mm-hmm. things um but related things um and then the notion of development and awakening so let me deal with healing and whole um, quickly. Um, healing 
much like if you fall and, and scrape your knee, um, and your body has natural the natural inclination to reform the torn tissue. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when that gets healed, and usually the scab and something covers it over, you know, it dries up, and you know, and then it turns back into kind of skin that was not had an abrasion, or you can't tell there was an mm-hmm. abrasion. That's that may be healing. That may not necessarily okay. be wholeness. And wholeness you, feels more whole body, um, more more something about even the nature by which we engage injury uh, okay. um, could be about wholeness. And so there's something qualitatively whole about wholeness. Um, and the notion of, yes, can we heal from our wounds? And wounds feel like something deeper than mm-hmm. injuries. Um, and injuries could be deeper, but injuries may lead to wounds. Wounds feel like things that fester. Mm-hmm things that have been there for a long time, that sometimes things are not seen, um, that are struggling mm-hmm. to heal, that whatever reason your body's not reacting in a certain way or your spirit is not reacting in a certain way to heal them, or um, events in your life make it very hard to heal things that maybe keep getting mm-hmm. reopened. So those are different levels of, I'll say, injury, mm-hmm. if you will, or wickedness. And they're related, but I don't think they're exactly mm-hmm. the same. And so we can come back and talk a bit about that. When you ask a question about development, I think of development is more steady, whereas awakenings are more mm, abrupt. Okay. Um, development, you know, I want to grow right. all the time and I want to always be mm-hmm. developing. And until I'm in the grave, I want to mm-hmm. be developing. Um, I want to understand because in some ways it's, it's just assumption and learning. And so limitation is not a bad thing if it can be linked to learning. So I'm limited, but I'm learning. And there's always going to be things to learn from the earth, people, God. And I want to always live in that journey. I want to always be learning and developing. Mm -hmm. Awakenings for me may be more moments when there's something we had not seen that when we see it, it crosses a threshold. We can't go Mm -hmm. back. Okay. Um, and so it doesn't mean we won't have other awakenings. Right. It just means I crossed the threshold. I understand something that now alters how I see most mm-hmm. everything else, or at least a good chunk of a lot of something mm-hmm. else. So, um, and awakenings usually have some degree of um, disorientation because once you see something that changes like a minute, that just messed up how I thought about those right. other things. And so they're not always simply comfortable, but they usually give us this energy um, and maybe even aspects of mm-hmm. awe because they now shift us into al- allowing us to see something that maybe we were stuck mm-hmm. in. They allow us to get free of those things that maybe we felt stuck in. Mm-hmm. Before. Um, and so in some ways I would identify them a little bit differently for that reason. And so development, like building muscles, you got to work, you got to work, you got to work, right. you got to work, you got to work. And awakenings may come after a series of work and you open into a new horizon that you didn't mm-hmm. quite see before. So do you think with awakenings, people can have multiple awakenings throughout their lifetime? I mm-hmm. hope so. Um, there are moments when I turned 18, I thought I made sense of the world and I knew everything that the world had right. to offer me. And 
And when I turned 25, I realized, oh, my, I, I knew nothing. I knew nothing. So I think that's even an awakening and, and a sort of awareness. And so if we connect awakening, which awake, and can I have multiple awarenesses or, or aspects of becoming awake mm-hmm. about something, the answer is yes. And, and I think it, we use it in a colloquial sort of way. And I think the colloquial way, which I, I would go with, is um, the ability to see something like I'm, I was asleep and now I mm-hmm. see. Um, and so each morning we awaken. Mm-hmm. Um, and the possibility that each morning provides us is mm-hmm. an awakening. Um, and then there's things in our relationships or our life or our vocations or our narratives or our spiritual walks that we get to a place and we feel stuck. And then maybe months later we have something that allows us to be unstuck. Mm-hmm. And I think those, again, happen in the context of relationships. They happen in the context of people. They happen in the context of our, our conversations. They happen in, you know, I've heard people say, you know, we start doing exercises and have mm-hmm. awakenings um, where I couldn't get to something and all of a sudden I see it now. I couldn't see it before. It makes sense mm-hmm. to me. And it changes the way I want to live my life. And so I, I broadly, in a colloquial way, I don't, I'm not being defined, you know, I won't be too strict with the definition of awakening, but you get a sense of the wholeness of that. Great. Thank you for that. Earlier too, you mentioned um, about the little boy inside of you. Can you just elaborate a little bit? Because we may have some listeners who are like, what does he mean by that? The little boy. And like you, I know a lot of times with our conversations, you mentioned, oh, there's that little girl. I see that little girl. So can you talk about the aspect of how this, our youth still lives within us and how we can also live from that, that place. Not, I mean, obviously all the time, but that youthful, playful um, part of us. Hmm. I, I love this notion that when Jesus said it's become yeah. like children again. And um, there is something very eternal about the child parts of us that as we physically grow older, and I feel like I'm growing older, um, there is just still a part of me that can remember both some of the wounds and remembers the play. And when I shush that part of me and tell him to go sit down mm-hmm. and behave, mm-hmm. which means he doesn't cry about the wounds or he doesn't get excited about the play, there's some part of me a central part of me, maybe a central part of my being is being muted. Mm. And I think sometimes the way we manage pain is to mute that essential part of us. We've learned that that part's not safe in the world. And sometimes the injuries and injuries are funny when they're psychic injuries because they have a certain almost eternal quality, almost a sense of they don't get old. We still feel them. We can still be cued up by them. And most of us are cued up by our historical injuries and it means we have to engage the parts of us, I'll say the kid in us that has been injured, and to talk them through that. Um, much like when my daughter was young and she had kind of a very um, wild imagination. So you could turn the lights off for her and she's in bed and she's going to see people, there's monsters under the bed, there's something in my closet, there's something in my mm-hmm. chair. And I would come in as an adult part of her, turn the lights on and kind of walk her through, see, there's, let's look in the closet. And she said, no, I can't look in the closet. And I said, okay. And I take her hand, I walk over 
And I'd say, see, let's look, and there's nothing there. And, or look at the chair, or let's look under the bed. And first of all, she was initially terrified. I don't, I'm not going to look under the bed. I know there's something right. under my bed. And then, you know, my job as parent is to be patient with that and to take her hand and spend time with her to say, let's look under the bed. And I'm, I don't see anything. And trust me, I'll be here with you. I'm not going away. I'm going to be here with you. We can look in the closet. We can look under the bed. And that's a bit of what we emotionally do in terms of some mm-hmm. of our healing. It's to look and see the things that have terrified us before. Yeah. And with companionship. And I think it's safe companionship. And sometimes this is God. God mm-hmm. does this with us. Or people do this with us. And it takes a while for us to trust that there really is nothing under the bed. Or that something under the bed we now can manage in a way we couldn't manage mm-hmm. before. And so there are terrors that people have experienced. There were things under the bed. Worth things. Yeah. They're worth things. And it means we need someone to walk those things and protect us from those things and say, I won't let it hurt you mm-hmm. this time. And sometimes that needs to be a divine promise. Um, we need to have a sense of God saying, I'm not going to let them hurt you again mm-hmm. this way. But that little kid in us records that and makes promises to themselves mm-hmm. and says, I'm not going to be safe, unsafe like this again. I'm not going to be untrusting like this again. I'm not going to be gullible like this again. But when we have to, when we do that, or that happens to our children, a child inside of us, it mutes us emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, we forget to learn to play, or we play in such a frivolous way, knowing we will be hurt. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're interested. We can either go yeah. mute or go yeah. wild. Um, you know, I don't give a damn. Let me go mm-hmm. buck wild. And that's another way of trying to protect ourselves from what we know inevitably will hurt right. us. Can you talk a little bit more too? Because I know with my story of my journey of healing and everything, I feel like at first I had a divine encounter with God. And when I was writing my book and there would be moments when I would just write and there would be tears and I didn't even know there was something underneath my bed that I needed to face. But during that time when I was writing my book, I felt like I was given the strength to kind of start peeking and looking and seeing if can I manage this? Can you talk about possibly, and this is just my opinion, I think it's really important sometimes to have that alone time to work through some of those things. Because I know sometimes, I mean, you saw this when I first met you and asked that question about hope. I was in a very lonely spot, but it was during that time too, where I was able to connect with God in a very deep way where I was able to kind of start looking and with that starting to look, it led me to bodies of community where I was able to start voicing some of the past trauma in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is a very tender moment. Um, and I'm grateful for God and God's Holy mm-hmm. Spirit. Um, because it's a moment when we're not sure we can trust anybody mm-hmm. else. Um, and so our aloneness is, um, I don't know if I can trust anybody else mm-hmm. with this. I don't know if I can trust any other voices to, or any other eyes to see me because for them to see me is for me to mm-hmm. see me of voices. I can't. I, so the, the challenge of trusting after we've been injured um, that somebody just in the touching of something will hurt us again or the seeing of something will mm-hmm. hurt us again. And in those moments, I think the aloneness tolerating or allowing God to see us mm-hmm. um, I love, you know, I've become really deeply appreciative of the promises of the Bible about I'll never leave you Mm -hmm. or forsake you. And 
I think, you know, at one point I thought it was maybe the miracles or something, but I've come really to think the miracles presence. Mm. Like when God says, I will not leave you. I will not leave you. I will not leave you or forsake you. That may be the most important miracle that I am not alone, but I can be alone without other people Mm. with God. I can find my space with God. I can find trusting spaces that hold me. And then if I trust God, then I may be able to trust somebody else because I trust God not to let mm-hmm. them hurt me. Um, and so if, if it's in maybe a, a walking out of the cave, mm-hmm. if you will, of, you know, but God, I need you to come to meet me in my yeah. cave. Because I'm not yeah. coming out. I'm not coming out because I know what coming out means. And so I need you to find me in this space. I need you to find me in my alone space. Mm-hmm. Come, and all of us hunger mm-hmm. for that but we don't feel safe. Um, so even when some people intrude and try to come find us, we feel like you don't feel, you don't feel safe enough to come find me and I'll go further and deeper and away yeah. from you. And so the safety of God or at times being alone and then being met by God in those spaces, feel important, important moments to develop a mm-hmm. sense of trust. And then I might be able to tolerate somebody else. seeing yeah. me, um, Somebody else hearing me. Or somebody else just sitting with me. And I think to all too often people try to fix us as opposed to simply be with us. And hence this sense of presence that we need to know that someone will just simply mm-hmm. sit with me and let me decide when I can open my mouth, um, when I can find words for mm-hmm. my hurt, mm-hmm. uh, when I can begin to look underneath the bed, if you will, or what has happened in the bed or what has happened in, in physical, emotional, distressful situations, trust has to be um, some part earned yeah. again once it's betrayed. And we're t- talking about betrayal. Mm-hmm. Um, how as a child or as an adult do I manage my betrayals? And sometimes I need to be alone to begin to engage that and with the hope that God yeah. will be there. So um, thank you for answering that. And I ask that question for the listeners who may be at a very lonely spot in their life as an encouragement Mm -hmm. that you are not alone. And sometimes in those lonely spots, those are the most or the darkest times in your life can be the biggest moments where you are able to see the light. Um, Mm -hmm. And I mean the light in a way that however you define God or however you define mm-hmm. your spiritual belief, that's those darkest moments is the moments where you're able to allow and be open to that spiritual realm um, of comfort. And so I asked that just because I know a lot of people have mentioned you're so alone, but it was during those lonely times in my life where I was able to actually be so connected with God. And it was one of those mm-hmm. moments where I almost missed those lonely times because I was so mm. in divine moments with him. Mm. And mm-hmm. so I just, I, I asked that one um, just for the listeners who may be going through a lonely time of, for encouragement. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for answering that now. Yeah. And I'll just, I'll yes. just add to that while you're, um, I, I, I think certainly think you're right. There's times you really need to lo- be alone because people yes. distract you. Um, they can distract you from your work. And this is sort of the hyperactive child in <laughs> us who just wants to be distracted. And it's better to be distracted from pain or loss than to tolerate mm-hmm. being alone. And I think the tolerating being alone is actually when we begin to face parts of ourselves that have yeah. hurt. 
So some of us, again, simply run and, and, and actually, I think on some levels, athletics and um, sex, I think there's other ways we get really distracted mm-hmm. and we don't engage with parts of us that have been yeah. hurt. But this becomes a way of kind of being overly active. And so I party all the time or I drink or I, you know, I do different things as a way of distracting because it's so hard to tolerate to be yeah. alone and having to face it. Yeah. And you touched on a really um, interesting topic, um, how you mentioned like sex and athletics and workouts. We kind of like run from those pains mm-hmm. that our body holds on. So, and I know for myself and with my journey with water skiing, that was what I was doing. And mm. the kettlebells really allowed me to develop this language of listening to that pain. So can you talk a little bit too, I mean, you basically kind of mentioned this already, but how our mind and our body almost run away from our spirit. Hmm. Um, it's interesting. I said to my wife the other day that we are self-deceptive creatures. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's for our own good. It's like sometimes it's better not to know. I, I, don't, I don't believe you have to always be facing wrong right. the truth. Um, I hope you're always developing and moving in that direction and pursuing truth. But there's some moments when it's just too hard to hold, too mm-hmm. hard to manage. And um, I think that's when we get to start splitting off ourselves. Um, and so that's why it's not a permanent state to kind of deny something as a way of not losing your mind is, is better than losing your mind. But at the same time to stay in that state means you have to split off parts of yourself. And so, when our bodies and minds become separate from our spirits, it can be in that split off way. And the sense of fulfillment doesn't come in a spiritual wholeness. It comes in an exhaustion or a spentness, Mm -hmm. if you will. And I think there's something really potent when that spentness is also connected spiritually, because I think then there's a sense of reflection that Mm -hmm. comes. I'm not just spent, I also reflect. And I can linger in this space. And so I might suggest that the spaces that when your body and mind get split off from your spirit, they're, maybe they're harder to sit mm-hmm. in. They're harder because you don't feel the sense of linkage. And I think that's what spirituality offers to us. It's not just simply the sense of being agents or active in the world, but also the sense of being held in the world and connected mm-hmm. and linked. And so the hope is that those things would go together, but we do split off. I mean, in certain moments I go hit golf balls because I'm angry. And sometimes it helps me kind of reflect on why am I so angry? Mm -hmm. What has hurt Mm me? What has been frustrating? That moves into more of a spiritual mind piece. If I just hit the golf balls and I feel exhausted and go home and take a shower, that may not. And so I think that's what's hard because sometimes the same activity which may be considered very good Mm -hmm. exercise can be the thing we use to avoid. And we have to be intentional about saying, Hey, I'm, I'm a whole person and how to, what reflectively is happening with me? God, how are you speaking to me through Mm -hmm. kettlebells? And what sort of disciplines, you know, my, you know, my biggest challenge is can I get to sleep on time? You know, it's a spiritual discipline for me to struggle. I struggle with it. You know, can I get, can I do eight hours, seven hours? Um, and I know if I don't, that it impacts all of me. It impacts my memory. It impacts my sense of how I want to interact with other people. It impacts my capacity to um, turn towards other people in certain ways. 
Um, and so I recognize some of my own sort of spiritual struggles take me away from people, take me away from disciplines, mm-hmm. um, take me away from reflection. Mm-hmm. And so I, so when that, when those body and mind can get split off, it can certainly feel energizing because that's mm-hmm. what it does. And it can certainly feel interesting or stimulating or distracting. Mm-hmm. But if I leave off the reflection, um, if I don't ask questions, if I don't listen, I love your notion mm-hmm. of listening. The kettlebells brought me to a place mm-hmm. of listening. Then I may miss the sort of linkage and the connections that's much more spiritually deeper about how I put my body through experiences and exercises that push on my wholeness. And I do, I think, address. Yeah. Now, can you elaborate how you can bring that realization or that awareness with some of those things you use the example of hitting golf balls and how you can do it Mm -hmm. in two ways or or two different approaches of one being really in tuned with it and why you're angry how can someone come to that place of attunement of understanding Mm -hmm. this is why I'm doing this and this is why I'm angry and this is why I need to express this physical anger in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I probably the word that comes to mind is mm-hmm. reflection. Um, and whether that be journaling reflection or conversations reflection um, or prayerful mm-hmm. reflection or asking questions of the universe and saying um, how and why, why and how mm-hmm. come um, and trusting God to respond to those, listening to other people um, at different times. Um, I try to reading poetry, mm-hmm. um, doing your art form, um, reflection. So anything that I think that encourages a certain degree of reflection, of listening, of trying to be quiet enough to, you know, I mean, body being active and even quieting the body after activity to say, now, what, what do I need right. to hear? What is my body mm-hmm. telling me? Um, what might God be mm-hmm. telling me? What might the universe be telling me through, you know, via the Holy spirit, what Mm -hmm. am I learning? And so that's why I think there's always awakenings and there's always moments of development. Cause I think that's a posture of development and awakening is to be listening and open to hear and to not take singular, you know, I I try to avoid singular points of perspective. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if it's my Bible at times, or if it's a, friend at times or if it's I probably will wait before I decide on one thing and just listen try to listen to multiple mm-hmm. things um, for congruence and linkage. I like that thank you um you mentioned with the fact of like how you use again hitting golf balls as an example I know there's been times in our communication in our conversations of how I've told you that I'm just I have this weird craving to break glass. And Mm -hmm. it was during the time where I was really working through and sitting in a lot of like heartache. And Mm -hmm. can you just elaborate on Mm -hmm. that aspect of, I know there's even some people, even in my life, I have a friend who's going mourning through the death of her father. And she's talking about how she just wants to break glass and break plates Mm -hmm. and me telling Mm -hmm. her just like, this is so normal. Like I have the same cravings. Mm Can you just elaborate about that and the symbolic Mm. behind that and the physicality and the importance of doing something like that? 
Yeah, and and I this is one of those moments where I say this is not a statement for people no. who want to start class. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, at the same time, I want to say when I heard you actually, you showed me videos mm. of breaking glass, mm-hmm. and I think even watching the videos, I felt a sense of yeah. release, a sense of and and maybe in two different ways. Um, one is breaking out of something or breaking through something, but also the expression of how much mm-hmm. this hurts. I mean, I, I think I hurt, and the, and the latter may be even mm-hmm. louder. This hurts so much that the only thing that can communicate this external to me is shattering mm-hmm. something, because I feel shattered a bit inside. I feel the shattering that's occurred to me inside. So it feels, the metaphor actually feels mixed um, in the sense of breaking out of something or feelings getting out you know, I'm trapped in a room with glass, but you can maybe see me, but can't hear me. Or trapped in a place where I can't breathe and they break out. And also this sense of, I feel this much pain that I can, I can only show it in the shattering of something. It, it's, it's, so it, it, I think I heard both things. And I think those are, that, that feeling, particularly when someone dies, um, the sense of being lost and everything broken. Mm-hmm. It's one of those sort of, um, I won't call it an awakening, but the sort of moments when again everything shifted. I can recall when my own parents died, and I felt like I'd been orphaned. Um, I'm I'm now you know I'm a, a grown adult, and and I'm feeling like an orphan, like I'm alone in the world. There's nobody in front of mm-hmm. me, and the disorientation of that. The people who gave me orientation, who were here before I was here, who are no longer here, was just potent. I mean, and so. The shattering of something feels like sometimes the shattering of your own experience inside emotional. So I, I think it's another sort of attempt to be reflective. Particularly hard things feel like they're beyond words. And I think clearly our emotions are beyond words. Words are ways that we actually try to bring some meaning and to make some sense of it in an organizing mm-hmm. way. And it's a way of our brains trying to say, okay, let's see if we can kind of put something, link this with all things. But the emotion of it is <clears throat> beyond words. It is beyond the ability to kind of make sense of. I think that's probably why when people want to start talking to us too soon, when we say we're crying or upset, and they can't attune themselves with the upsetness, and it feels like, you're, you're just, no, yeah. go away. Um, and sometimes breaking glass is the only sort of attunement you feel like would actually match what you're feeling inside. And I know from my own experience, uh, there's been almost too much talk and I felt like I needed to push people away. And that's what drove me to make that video. Um, because I was like, I have no more words. I'm, I'm spent. And let me express myself in a way that hopefully you can see and relate to this. Um, so it, For those who, some have probably seen this video, but I'll make sure I'll share the link to the video Mm -hmm. on YouTube um, so you guys can understand what we're referring to. Um, Now, this, um, the breaking glass and the symbolic, you mentioned a little bit of your your family and your um, heritage with them and the the breaking of that. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you would be possible to go in to talk about I believe it's the National Memorial of Peace and Justice. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I know you showed me pictures of that um, mm-hmm. monument. 
and just the um, effect it had on me. Can you first share mm. what it is mm. and mm. Um, the importance of it for the past and the future for our generation? Mm. Mm. Well, um, the National Memorial of Peace and Justice is in Montgomery, Alabama, and it just opened a couple mm -hmm. months ago. And um, there's another museum there also that opened. And the memorial is um, a way of acknowledging and maybe saluting those people who died from lynching mm -hmm. in the U.S. in a certain um, period in our history. Um, and this memorial focuses more specifically on African Americans. Mm -hmm. And the, the memorial is set up as a, and, and, and the visual of it, it's kind of a rectangular building that sits on a hill mm -hmm. that has um, these sort of metal columns that are hanging from the ceiling. And as you get close, they're, they're, they represent counties in the US and primarily across the South where lynchings occurred. And um, as you walk into this memorial, it, the floor level changes. And so as you work deeper into it, these metal columns that look like narrow caskets in some ways begin to rise because you're going down. And so at some point you look up and they're hanging above your head and they're like bodies that are hanging mm -hmm. that have been lynched. And it's pretty mm -hmm. potent um, sort of experience. And I think some of that experience for me, um, is beyond words. Yeah. Um, it makes me think of my parents, my grandparents, my great grandparents, and the thought that, um, I come from a people who've gone through this period in history, um, and were able to thrive or at least survive mm -hmm. in such a way that I'm here. And so my existence is some degree of statement of their resilience and their capacity to get through something. But it was deeply wounding. And I felt in touch with a sort of ancestral mm. wound um, that really is beyond words. I have not, you know, I, this, is, this is where art yeah. would help, you know, as you were talking about breaking glass earlier. And this is where you almost need art and symbols um, because so much of our deeper emotional, spiritual connections are beyond mm -hmm. words. And um, I still haven't found ways to put full words to it. It's just a deep feeling of connectedness to my historical ancestry. And the struggle and the pain and the suffering and the torture and the terror and then the survival and hopefully the resilience. Mm -hmm. um, so as I look at my children, I want to share with them resilience, mm -hmm. but I don't want to be a shallow resilience of just one generation. Right. But to say we came through this, um, people died, lived, died, struggled on your behalf, that we might come through this. And so it was a pretty potent piece on me, more, more so than, I mean, in some ways, more so than I expected. Mm -hmm. And most of it was, again, beyond words. Um, love, again, I'll just speak for whatever reason, the art of it. Again, I don't think if you had written those things out and the histories of those people um, and those hundreds of columns hanging above your head, um, I don't think if I just wrote it out, it would be the same experience. You have to actually tactically tactile, um, see, listen, because um, there's a wall that has water running over it. It's a memorial for those people who um, we don't know and have record mm -hmm. of their lynching. 
And so even the belly of this memorial, there's a wall with water running across it and a salute to those people. And so you're getting a full, you know, visual, tactile, auditory experience, which is what forms our mm. memory. But this is also to what art does. It gets to speak to those things and helps us release those things um, in such a way that we see, we mm -hmm. hear, we touch, mm -hmm. um, and we have a more full body experience of, of, of an experience. And that's what I think occurred for me. I felt tied to my past in a way I've never yeah. had. And I know for me, just looking at the pictures, it just almost gave me a, like this belly ache almost of knowing mm. that I come from a very white dominant um, generation mm. and that the correlation of how we are able to have a friendship and a working relationship, how, you know, generations past, we wouldn't be able to even have anything like that and where mm. we've come from mm. and how grateful I am for you and where we are in um, our mm. nation's history. It again made me realize the heartache of what your generation or not generation, but your people have gone through and it put mm. a big burden mm. on me as a white female. How do I, how do I play into this? Mm. I, I'm still mm. lost of the heartache mm. of it. Is it just the fact that I, we go and mourn together and it brings us together mm -hmm. in that way? Um, mm -hmm. I, I, what does this do, do for you? Not just for the past, but for also for the future yeah. and bringing us mm -hmm more incongruent with each other with despite our mm. color differences mm -hmm. I, and I, i'll go back to word i used earlier um and i think that's what the memorial is about mm. reflection it begins with reflection and for us to begin to take in that this is something that occurred it's really interesting when you get a certain denial that something mm. occurred and denial is a functional tool that helps again at times to save us from having our worlds blown apart but first thing I think the memorial does, it pushes me into, push me into, I can't deny this. It's no longer something that happened back then. It's something that was, that occurred. It, it feels more real. It feels more embodied. And so striking for me, just showing you the pictures, you felt the embodied nature of that. And then the questions which you're asking are reflective mm -hmm. questions. And I do think there's a lamenting that this didn't just happen to this people. This happened to mm -hmm. us. And the us part is... Um, some of dominant culture perpetrated this. It was periods in our history that perpetrated this, and we did this. And um, there's to be that's to be mourned. Mm -hmm. um, as in the, to be to be mourned, this happened to us. I think these aren't separate events as much as we mourn, and we mourn for different reasons. And but we also mourn for the same reasons. And so I think reflection and mourning is really what the memorial is trying to begin mm -hmm. to offer. Then it becomes how, how we, what's the work we take away right. from that? Um, and at this moment in our history, I don't, you know, it, for me, the question is not have these things occurred because I have in my body know they have. The question for me is what makes us so frightened of each other? Mm. And I experience dominant culture um, or many European Americans as being you know, some being very terrified, particularly evangelical Christians. I'm not, there's a terror and a fear of one losing culture. Mm. Um, and so there's a different set of conversations. It's not the conversation of, um, in our past, we did lynchings and how come, and guilt. I'm, I'm probably less impressed with mm. guilt right now. 
and more desirous that we have reflection. What is making us so frightened that we did that right. then? And what is us so frightened that we're losing our culture that we're struggling now? Mm-hmm. And what, what do those things mean? And so I want us to ask questions in reflective ways as opposed to simply indict. Um, the one thing I find particularly at times frustrating with African-American people in this country, we are angry at times, we're deeply forgiving. Mm. Um, and I think that's because we've learned something in the pain of the journey that to hold a grudge is our own self-destruction. Mm. Um, to, we, if we were bitter this many hundreds of years, we would, self, we would have self-destructed. Mm. And so there is within us a desire to, for us to reflect um, and um, that people would not just simply say or feel guilty, or, but begin to reflect and say, on oh, my experience, what does it mean for me to be a white female or a white male? Or, and I think, again, we can get to this conversation where we feel, oh, how come everything's about race? And everything is really not about race. But these things have been perpetrated along those lines. And so the question is, this is an mm-hmm. injury that we haven't been able to fully heal from that has been perpetrated along these lines. What does that mean? And what, what, what does that mean to us? And what can't we seem to get over? Hmm. Um, and not just one, but both or multiple aspects. We still struggle with what it means to be a multi-ethnic right. society. And what does that mean? So it's, it's reflection. Mm-hmm. I'll go back to that word. I would love us to be more reflective in some honest and gritty ways and have more realizations and awakenings. Yeah. That's yeah. my hope. Well, thank you for that. I mean, even with you sharing, I was just like still incited or incited, insightful. There's the word I'm trying to say um, mm-hmm. with how to move forward with this. And um, I just appreciate you of just bringing it back down to the very simple, basic stuff of that work of reflection and self-work of um, the importance of mourning mm-hmm. this part of our history of our nation and then working through the mourning together um, and I know yes, from my own yes. story of mourning some of my own trauma, that's where I found some of the answers or mm-hmm. that next step. So mm-hmm. thank you for mm-hmm. bringing us back mm-hmm. to that um, fundamental truth and the importance of mourning and bringing it us together as a community um, around that. So um, for those who are listening, I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. So if you ever want to go and check this out, it's an incredible um, again, I've only seen it through pictures, but it's on my list of places to see. Um, so thank you for that. Is it, we're going to be wrapping up. Is there anything else that you would like to share about um, health, holiness, spirituality as we finish up here? It's interesting. I get a chance to do this with you. And uh, the fun part of doing this with you, I said yes to you because it's you. <laughs> And um, it has been fun to watch you with health, holiness, and um, well-being, and for you both to struggle and to thrive and survive and struggle um, and watch you build strength. And so it's exciting to see you connect with parts of yourself, linkages, um, to acknowledge that you're called in this world to in some ways raise questions about people's strength and wholeness and their spirituality mm-hmm. and I want to bless you in that walk and so uh, more so than anything i have anything additional to say as much as to bless you mm-hmm. 
Thank you for your work. <laughs> Thank you for your calling. And I pray that you would continue to hear God and what God calls you. Thank you for that. Yeah, that means a lot. Um, well, I'm going to ask you one last question. Um, okay. How do you define holiness? Hmm. Um, it's interesting. When I hear the word, uh, there's multiple things that come to mind. One is a sense, the purity aspects mm -hmm. of holiness, the separateness, the coming away from, coming apart, and the dedication of oneself to mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. And then the sort of relationship with God, mm -hmm. parts of that, uh, which is togetherness. It's, it's, a, it's a linkage. It's a connected in. It is a, a sense of being pleasing to God. And so it, it has multiple aspects of it, the purity aspect of it and also the communal aspects mm -hmm. of it. Um, and the sense of dedication to something being called into something, um, being called into something more. It also raises questions of our failure to do so, our inability to do so mm. on our own, um, the lack of. And so for me personally, it suggests my need for a savior, a need for Jesus, a need for something more than me to bring me into something, that I need help coming into something. I'm not capable of coming into something and being holy um, on my own. It is not my self-righteousness that comes into holiness. It is being brought into something and being um, sanctified, mm -hmm. if you will, or being made whole and being made pure. Mm -hmm. um, so it has those sort of connotations for me, um, both the purity of it, but also the connectedness and also my dependency mm -hmm. on God to do some things that I can't do. That's great. Thank you for that. Um, well, thank you again for taking time out of your day and joining us. I'm going to be wrapping it up. For those who are listening, thank you so much. If you liked this episode, please share, write a comment below. And if you are enjoying these shows, make sure you subscribe and give the show your the five stars. Share your love with that. Mm -hmm. Other than that, we will be wrapping it up today. I will be back on next week with the difference between fitness and health and then describing the difference between the two and how you can live from a healthier, holier self. Thank you, Derek. That is it for today. We are peacing out.